The Vikings won the NFC North last season after going an NFL record 11-0 in one-score games. Uh, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined for a 2023 Vikings preview by uh, Matthew Kohler of uh, Purple Insider. Matthew, always good to have you on the show. And, you know, the, certainly the Vikings had some good fortune last year, but I think they deserved a lot of those close wins last year. As somebody who witnessed every game, how would you describe the Vikings' 2022 regular season? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of went back and forth a lot last year on that because some of it was pretty darn lucky. I mean, Josh Allen fumbled a QB sneak. I mean, how many times does that happen in a single season? And, and that helps them. And then Allen threw two interceptions in the end zone, which, you know, that doesn't happen either. So there were a lot of horseshoe, uh, lucky charm games. But at the same time, the one-score game stat can be a little bit misleading at times. Like, they were ahead against Miami for pretty much the entire game, and then they kind of came back. I mean, they, they were the better team against Arizona for the entire day. And then there was that kind of comeback at the end and made it closer than it should. And that's what happens when you have a very bad defense is you're never really out of the woods. And also the Vikings last year didn't have a great running game with Delvin Cook, which is one of the reasons they moved on, and that helps you close out games. But it is hard to see it being a lot different this year. I'm sure they won't win all of their one-score games, but at the same time, they've revamped a lot of the defense. I'm not sure that it's way better, aside from the defensive coordinator is a lot more, uh, I think, aggressive and probably has a better approach to this defense so that could make a difference but one of the problems also is when you finish first in your division you get a first place schedule they play yeah. all the teams that were in championship weekend last year um so even though i think they do have a strong roster uh there's pretty clear signs that there should be some regression this year it just kind of comes down to how much regression will they suffer okay we're gonna get to a lot of those topics you just mentioned here um, before the end of the interview but next, I want to go to Kevin O'Connell. He's a first-year head coach, first-time NFL play caller last season. What impressed you the most about his you know, first-year performance? Yeah, I think it was probably just the way that he connected with players and the culture he instantly created. And I know that that's like football cliche kind of thing, but uh, it couldn't have been worse uh, when Mike Zimmer left. Uh, it just the players were miserable. They were frustrated. It was a very, very unhappy workplace. The general manager and head coach weren't talking. I mean, it was uh, there. It was just a, a nasty situation by the end of 2021. And I think all of the players felt like if they had been given a little bit better of a work environment, if they probably would have closed out some games in 2021 that they didn't uh, and missed the playoffs. And it turned out that they were right because O'Connell came in. Uh, he was the exact opposite of Zimmer, very much a player's coach took a completely different approach to a lot of things. I mean, to communicating with Kirk Cousins is at the top of the list, to injuries, to player health, um, to how he spoke with the media, you know, having his players back as much as he possibly could throughout the season, um, you know, even when something did go wrong. But I think that that mattered a lot. That he uh, really respected the players. They respected him. He galvanized the locker room. Uh, he and the general manager are very much on the same page, Mensa, and I think that that all mattered. Um, but also when you win, it's a lot easier, right? So you kind of get an easy start to the schedule, then some one-score wins, and then everybody likes each other. And I think this year there will be more adversity for Kevin O'Connell to handle. And sometimes when you are the player's coach, there's always that question of like, okay, can you kind of 
bring down the hammer? Can you be hard on these guys if you have to? And that we haven't seen him tested yet. But, you know, from an offensive perspective, they were a very good offense, finished top 10 in scoring. I think that maybe that was helped by the shootout uh, and, you know, the nature of how they played. They had to score, you know, 33 points in a comeback uh, against Indianapolis after getting, you know, down. Um, so, you know, that normally you wouldn't have to do that. So sometimes those stats are a little fun. But I thought that him leaning into the passing game, putting it on Kirk Cousins' shoulders was something that, you know, Mike Zimmer was never willing to do, and they got pretty good results in doing so. So I think that he probably deserved a little bit more buzz for Coach of the Year than he got. It was weird that they won 13 and the Giants won 9 and Brian Dable got it. But, um, you know, I, I think that he did make a very, very strong first impression in Minnesota. Dalvin Cook has moved on to wherever, still to be determined, I guess. Uh, Alexander Madison, the new running back. Did the Vikings make the right decision with Cook, and what do you expect from Madison this season? 100% they made the right decision with Cook. I mean, this is one of those things, and I'm sure you guys have dealt with this before, where uh, the national media will be saying something, and you watching your team all the time or covering the team yeah. will be like, excuse me? Um, and, that, and that was... Uh, the, the case with Delvin Cook. I mean, he was not the same running back last year, not even close to what he was in 2020, 2019. And, of course, that's the nature of the game with running backs is that they get into their late 20s, the injuries pile up. Uh, I think that he was protecting a shoulder injury last year. It did not run with the physical type of nature that he has in the past. His burst, I didn't think, was quite the same. Um, and they also changed running schemes a little bit, and it wasn't as good of a fit for them. Uh, it's also a bad bet to spend that much money to keep a running back that has already started to show signs of decline. I mean, his yards per touch has gone down for three straight years. You know, so there's, there's a lot of like piling up evidence, including the fact that nobody has jumped to sign him, that would tell you that the entire league knows that you know Delvin Cook is not the same running back as before. And yet I saw people reporting, uh, are the Vikings tanking because they're getting rid of Delvin Cook? Like, what? Um, so reputation means a lot more to the outside world a lot of times, but they absolutely made the right call. Now the question is whether they made the right call of who they went to. I think that there's a lot of appreciation in this building for Alexander Madison. He's a highly intelligent player, a, a super physical runner. Um, you know, he's the guy that is kind of like a Leroy Horde for back in the day. He's going to you know get wow. you four or five yeah. yards, but he's probably not going to get you too many 75-yard touchdowns because he doesn't have that breakaway speed. But the thing is that what people have to understand is that everything is about the passing game for Kevin O'Connell. Alexander Madison can get you to second and five, set up play action. He can pass block. He can catch the ball much better than Delvin Cook, who was always kind of touted as someone who was a receiving back but never really became that. So I think that it's a better fit even though, of course, we all know peak Delvin Cook is better than what we're going to see from Alexander Madison. Matthew Kohler of Purple Insider, curling in the sports zone. Okay, I promise we'll get to some offense soon. We don't need to talk too much about that. They're pretty well set in, I think, many positions. But I want to get to this defense. 27th, 30th, and 31st in yards allowed the last three seasons. What does new defensive coordinator Brian Flores, who's certainly experienced in the league, you know, head coach, assistant coach, etc., how does he turn this around, or how much can he turn this around in the first season there for him? Well, I think what we've seen so far is his answer is going to be the same answer I use on video games, which is blitz, 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 and more blitz. <laughs> 
Um, even in uh, last night's training camp practice, uh, they were just harassing Kirk Cousins like crazy. And I think it started to get on Kirk's uh, nerves a little bit how much pressure they've sent at him in these practices. But that's what it's going to look like in real life. I mean, in 2020 and 2021, uh, when he was the coach of the Dolphins, they were one of those split-heavy teams in the league. That's what he is known for. And I also think that's what he needs to do with a defense that has a lot of it's hard to say how weak the weaknesses will be, but I guess if I was being Minnesota nice, I would say a lot of question marks. Um, you have two rookie corners starting in the outside. Byron Murphy Jr. has been a great fit so far for them. I think that they've yeah. really given him a solidified role, where in Arizona it looked like his role kind of changed from year to year. Um, but that nickel corner is a huge spot in Brian Flores' defense. He's mixing up some very interesting personnel packages so far kind of using a hybrid safety linebacker kind of thing. Um, but, you know, personnel is what ultimately matters the most, no matter who it is. I mean, Brian Flores' first year in Miami, they were 32nd. And then they jumped to sixth the next year when, no surprise, they signed free agents and got better players. So I, I think that regardless of how aggressive he's going to be, how good of a coach he is, and I, I have a lot of respect for him as a coach, there's still some challenges here. If your outside corners can't cover people, you're getting roasted. I mean, even week one, even if it's Kyle Trask throwing the football, it's Mike Evans is the receiver that they face in week one. Right away, there's going to be some big challenges. So, you know, I, I, I think that uh, if some of these guys, these young players, unproven guys step up, they could be a good defense. Uh, I don't know if there's the potential to be a great defense because they don't have the depth or the pass rush. But um, you know, it is one of the most interesting things of training camp and going into this season by far. Individually, they did lose some starters from the defensive side, including former Cardinal Patrick Peterson. Which defensive starter who left after last season were they going to miss? Which one of those guys are they going to miss the most this season? Yeah, I think the answer is Patrick Peterson. Um, it's funny, probably because you know his exit from Arizona was uh, unceremonious. But there are few players I've ever seen fit in so perfectly in Minnesota. I mean, whether it was with the team, his leadership, with the media, with the coaching staff. He would hold his own uh, film sessions with the guys uh, you know, every Tuesday, that kind of thing. I mean, he was just uh, a flawless fit here and uh, still had it. I mean, I think you saw that maybe some of the, the usage, again, with Byron Murphy and with Patrick Peterson was not the best in Arizona because mm -hmm. the way he fit in last year, he was one of the best corners in the NFL statistically if you look at quarterback rating against or PFF grade or pass breakups or whatever, that's not easy for place. So even though they did have a very bad defense, he was outstanding. And if, you know, some of their young guys, like Caleb Evans and Makai Blackman, who I'm sure your audience never heard of, they're two starters right now. Uh, if neither one of them can replace Peterson's production because he was making plays on the ball, and that's, you know, a hard thing to do, I think, for young players unless you're truly special – uh, th that's going to be hard, and that's where you know that aggressive approach comes in. They have to find ways to cause turnovers because the one saving grace of the defense last year was that they did get a fair number of turnovers, and if they don't this year, I, I think it's going to be pretty tough. So I think in a lot of different ways, from whether it's the locker room or just you know the plays that he made, they will miss Peterson quite a bit. Yeah, I think I'll just add one other quick thing here about Murphy. Uh, yeah, clearly he was a better slot corner here than he was uh, outside, even though he did get better outside last year. But, uh, you know, slot was when he uh, excelled the most while he was here. All right, we're talking with Matthew Kohler from Purple Insider.
All right, on to the offense we go a little bit. Uh, you know, we've, I think you and I, we, and I'm sure you've talked to many, everybody about this probably on a daily basis for several years. The offensive line, they're trying to build this offensive line. Is this the year that that unit steps up? Well, I think by the fact that they had uh, Dalton Reisner, free agent, in for a visit, who was a starter with the Broncos for the last four years, uh, makes me think that they are not super confident that it's going to take a step up. This is a, it's a weird situation because they have two of the best offensive tackles in the entire league, in Christian Derrissaw yep. and Brian O'Neill. Uh, these guys are elite, uh, both of them at their position. And Derrissaw has got a case for top two or three at his position. It's like Trent Williams, Andrew Thomas, Christian Derrissaw. And yet their offensive line overall – uh, you know, gave up a lot of sacks last year. I think Kirk was sacked 46 times, which is a lot, and uh, a lot of pressure and so forth because the interior has always been the struggle. And I think what every team knows at this point going into face the Vikings is if you attack the middle, Kirk Cousins can't run away. And you think about the fourth and eight check down that everybody talks about in the playoff game. It was really caused because Dexter Lawrence broke through the interior of the offensive line, and Cousins does not have the mobility to run away and and to create plays. And so he's just kind of been a sitting duck in the middle, and that's really hurt them. So they've spent two second-round picks and a first-round pick in that middle of the offensive line, and it's still bad, uh, which I think that sort of speaks to the quarterback matters with the offensive line's production as well. But also they drafted a guy, kind of reached on him in Ed Ingram on the right side last year, and it's just made a, a, a big difference. Um, to have, if you have a veteran there versus a young player and a rookie trying to step right in because he was just smoked last year by a lot of really good players and a lot of blitzes. There was confusion about who was supposed to take who, and it cost them a lot. So it really comes down to, you know, does he make progress and step up? Because he gave up 11 of those 46 sacks last year. That really can't happen for one player to give up that many sacks. Even if it's a tackle facing the best defensive ends, you can't give up that many and still succeed. So it kind of comes down to one guy because the weakness has always been um, what's determined whether the offensive line is, is good or not. Okay, Kirk Cousins, I'm not good at math. I think I got my math right here. He's been paid $185 million over his years with the Vikings. He's free agent eligible after this year. What's his future? $185 mil and one playoff win. So not exactly, uh, you know, I know that the narrative on Kirk Cousins is very positive these days, but um, as we look at the Vikings' future, we can't lose sight of that. The fact that they have won one single playoff game since he got here and at the time signed the biggest contract in the NFL. Uh, I think that right now it's probably 75% chance or greater that he just hits free agency. Some other team that's desperate for a quarterback signs him. It's kind of like a repeat of the Derek Carr situation. And then the Vikings look to draft the quarterback because when you think about it, I mean, first of all, I mean, when you're spending that much money on the quarterback position, the guy better be great. He can't be just good and flawed. He has to be great in order to make up for the weaknesses on the rest of the roster, and that's really not who Kirk is. And that's why they've consistently had you know, good and not great seasons aside from last year, which, uh, as we outlined, had a lot of luck elements at the end of games. So, you know, I think that they look at it as uh, – freedom as far as the salary cap goes and Kevin O'Connell I assume came here with the idea that at some point he'd get to pick his own quarterback he and Kirk Cousins have gotten along as well as any coach has ever gotten along with Kirk Cousins but there are still frustrations at times from a head coach when you have a limited quarterback in a league 
that has Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and when Kyler Murray is at his best, he's pretty darn athletic and great, fun to watch. I mean, you know, the league has so many freak defenders that get after the quarterback. You have to have a counter to that, I think, to win, and uh, the Vikings don't have it. So I think what the, that they'll do is they'll let him hit free agency unless something really changes. Like, remember back in 2012 when Joe Flacco won the Super Bowl in a contract year? Well, if they yeah. do that, then Kirk's going to be a Viking for life. <laughs> but if they are a first round out or miss the playoffs, uh, I think that they'll move on, draft a quarterback, and then go from there. If they win the Super Bowl, they're going to re-sign him, and there's going to be a statue outside the stadium at that point, probably. All right. Yes. We all we all know that Justin Jefferson is great. Uh, you know, so I'm just going to get right to the, the bottom line question here: Over 2,000 receiving yards this season? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's going 2,000. And the thing is, I don't think they want him to. Because last year he was so much the entire offense that by the end of the season, and you saw this in the playoff game, that I think he had four catches for 40 yards or something, that teams that know what they're doing defensively, not that anyone has ever really shut down Justin Jefferson, or that there's any real strategy, but in you know, one big playoff game or a really great defense can find ways to limit the damage from a player like that. And I think that was one of the reasons that the Packers lost in the playoffs all the time with Devontae Adams is you know, the teams would scheme up like we're going to make somebody else beat us. It was a long-held Belichick thing, make somebody else beat you. And uh, what the Vikings did was they went out and got a first-round draft pick in Jordan Addison that can um, so far in camp, he's been really, really excellent. Looks like a tremendous route runner, has great hands. They you know, traded for TJ Hawkinson last year, who was a, a pretty good answer to when teams focused on Jefferson. I also looked this up that uh, no receiver who had a 1,700-yard or more season ever did it again the very next year. And wow. I think that's because once that happens, even when Jerry Rice did it, uh, everybody puts their entire defensive game plans into yeah. stopping that guy. What the Vikings need to do is make them pay for it. And if Jefferson ends up with 1,200 yards, again, that outside world thing, people will say, oh, well, you know, he couldn't repeat it. Uh, But at the same time, if their offense is more efficient, that's what matters much more than the fantasy numbers. Okay, so the Vikings, they win 13 games last season. The over or under win total consensus-wise for this year is 8.5. You did mention the schedule, so let me ask you, over or under 8.5 wins? I have it over, but I, that's if they're healthy. I mean, the depth of this team is just non-existent, really. I mean, a, a receiver, okay, they could lose one guy and still be pretty good with their weapons. But even at running back, if Madison were to go down, they have no one proven behind him. Um, you know, we already talked about the offensive line would be a problem. Defense, if anybody gets hurt on the whole defense, it's a huge problem, and which somebody probably will. So, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it, it's maybe slightly over. Um, uh, uh, somebody mentioned to me, like, that one year in the AFC West, three teams went 8-8 eight and eight, and another team went 7-9. and nine. I kind of think the same thing about the NFC North. Where it could be yeah. like three teams go nine and eight, one team goes eight and nine. That's kind of what I think of this team. I think that they are flawed enough to be close to five hundred, good enough to make it interesting. Probably a lot of close games again, and then it will come down to you know some of those clutch moments. It wouldn't surprise me though if they had a great offense and they were a little bit better than that. I just think that the gambling world has a pretty good sense for uh, this team losing a lot of talent and having a lot of luck last year and 
that could, you know, make things more difficult for them this year. Matthew, this is always a fountain of information. I appreciate your uh, insight and talking to you, and uh, we'll try to catch up during the regular season. Thanks. Of course. Thanks for having me. Matthew Kohler, Purple Insider. Read all his stuff. 